0: On the National Catholic Register, this is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life.
1: In the month of February, the Church prays for the sick in a special way. Pope Francis's monthly prayer intention is for the terminally ill. And next week is World Day of the Sick, which is celebrated annually on the feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes. Journalist Courtney Mares of Catholic News Agency recently returned from a pilgrimage to Lourdes. She joins us now on Register Radio. Then we look to a place where Catholicism is growing by the numbers and growing in its leadership for the church across the globe. Register senior editor Jonathan Liedel brings us a report on the church in Africa. I'm Jeanette DeMello, executive director of the, of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency and your host here on Register Radio. February 11th is the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. And that's the day that St. John Paul II saw as a fitting feast day for the whole world to pray for the sick. And in 1992, he established World Day of the Sick as a time of, and this is a quote by, of him, prayer and sharing of offering one suffering for the good of the church and of reminding everyone to see in his sick brother or sister the face of Christ. So we take that very seriously at the register, and we'll have all sorts of content that helps uh, to call our attention to those who are in need, who are sick, and help us pray for them, as well as on Lords, uh, because it's a wonderful place, a wonderful uh, feast day to pray to Our Lady. And Courtney, as I mentioned, Courtney Mares of Catholic News Agency, who's based in Rome usually. Uh, and has reported on the Vatican and the global church for CNA for the the last several years, was on a pilgrimage to Lourdes last week. Courtney joins us now. Hi, Courtney.
2: Hi, Jeanette. Thank you for having me. Yes,
1: it's a great topic. (laughs) Uh, I, I have been to Lourdes myself. It's a beautiful place that was many, many years ago. I did the baths. I was in maybe 19 years old, and I uh, was quite impressed uh, by the whole atmosphere there. Was this your first trip to Lourdes?
2: No, this was not my first trip to Lourdes, um, but I was so excited to, to go back. Um, yes, and this was first... a
1: special opportunity, right? It was a, a pilgrimage with a bunch of journalists. <laughs> what was the occasion?
2: That's right. It it was a Catholic journalism conference co-organized by the Vatican's Communication Office, for the Feast of St. Francis de Sales, who's the patron saint of journalists. But I know that for many Catholic journalists, myself included, it was a great chance to get away um, out of the chaos of our daily lives, the Mm. chaos of Rome, and to to pray and really embrace the silence of this very sacred Marian shrine. Um, And it was so special to be able to pray in the grotto and touch the rock where the Virgin Mary appeared 18 times to little St. Bernadette Subaru in 1858. It's beautiful.
1: And and what was the conference? What were what were they feeding the soul there?
2: There were a number of different uh, topics covered in the conference, but I know for me one of the highlights was we heard from some of our colleagues who live and report in parts of the world where there's persecution of Christians and wars and violence. Uh, we heard from a journalist from Nigeria, another working, mm-hmm. you know, on the ground as a war correspondent in, in Ukraine. Um, and it was just a reminder that, you know, while we may report on the persecution of the church kind of from the comfort of our newsrooms, it's an entirely different thing when you're there on the ground. Um, we saw that last week, actually. Some of our colleagues from EWTN were in Turkey when there was a shooting in a Catholic church last Sunday. Um And it's just a reminder to be to be praying for, of course, the the persecuted church, but also for those who have vocations and who work in in Catholic journalism to be praying for them, too. Absolutely. Um, Yes.
1: Pope John, uh, excuse me, Pope John Paul's on my mind because I just mentioned him. But Pope Francis um, actually uh, addressed journalists on uh, January. I think it was on the 24th, right, which is the feast day. Of Saint Francis de Sales, and and I believe he thanked journalists uh, uh, for their reporting, not only um, on the good things the church does, but also on the scandal uh, and the and the troubled things within the church, so that those things come to light. I think he uh, he has a, an appreciation for what journalists can do. So I wanted to note that that he he spoke out um, to the journalists, but I don't want to spend too much time on that because really we're here to talk about um, lords. And this uh time that you had there and and uh, the the many touching stories <laughs> uh, that that come uh, from healings in in Lords during your time there, I know you were able to speak uh, to people who are on the ground um, who are there helping um, volunteers Lords is made up of a of really a network of volunteers, some who go year after year, uh, people uh, for example from uh, the Knights of Malta, uh, who really help out there, but who were you able to speak to to get an understanding of just the way that pastoral care works on the ground?
2: Yeah, the the first time I went to Lords, I just remember being so touched by seeing um, all the procession that happens at night, the candlelight procession, and people push, and all of these young people and volunteers pushing, you know, the sick and disabled in wheelchairs in procession to the grotto. And, um, I really came away from that wondering, I wonder how you volunteer at Lourdes. And so mm-hmm. that was one of my goals going back this trip was to track down a couple volunteers and, and hear from them and interview them. And I, I spoke for a long time with a couple from Canada who's been volunteering in Lourdes since 2006. They, they went to volunteer first for one week mm-hmm. and eventually decided wow. they eventually came back, um, kind of year after year to volunteer for at least a week well, a week at a time. And then recently came to the decision to buy a house and officially retire in Lourdes and just dedicate themselves full time um, as, as volunteers, you know, and, and share in this mission of, of the shrine. And they shared with me, um, obviously, they encounter people every day from all different parts of the world. Um, and they've met, you know, many people who have experienced uh, healings at Lourdes, But I must say I was the most touched by one story they shared with me was about a man who was given um, who had a a terminal cancer diagnosis and was given just uh, a few months to live. And when he when they first encountered him, when he first arrived at Lourdes, he um, he was just saying, I must be healed. I must be healed. I need to be healed. You know, I'm married. I have two young kids like I can't. I can't go. And they encouraged him, like they do with all of the um, people who come to Lourdes, that an important part of of a pilgrimage to the shrine is to make a confession, to kind of experience that inner healing, that spiritual healing, as well as um, praying at the grotto and the baths. And so this man um, made his first confession in more than 20 years while he was there. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said that by the end of his his entire pilgrimage experience at lords they just saw this transformation in him. And he was just praying, instead of, I want to be healed, I want to be healed, he was just praying to the Lord, Thy will be done. Absolutely. And, so and, not all and, um, of
1: the prayers are, I mean, not all the miracles are physical.
2: I mean, some of them exactly. are,
1: are miracles of the soul, interior healing.
2: Yes. Yeah. And, and so that's something that, I really, I really took away with, um, and it's, it's really beautiful how they, how they have this, um, emphasis on confession and, and spiritual inner healing at the shrine. I feel like whether you're at mass or talking with a volunteer talking with a bishop or at a, a procession, there's always like this gentle reminder, this gentle invitation to come to confession. It's really, I think part of, um, a part of the experience there, which I think a lot of other churches and shrines could um, could follow the Lord's example because I think yes. it, it makes it even more powerful. The and just to there.
1: think of that, you know, if the if during World Day of the Sick the Pope is calling us, and during this month as we pray for the terminally ill, if if our church is calling us to care and be aware of the sick and and to care for them not only with our prayers but in service i think that's something else to to keep in mind is the reminder of of inviting them if they would be interested to to meet with a priest and to help facilitate those kind of things um it's a it's an important reminder i think to us uh to be able to to try to facilitate uh, that as well Courtney, you speak of miracles, and many miracles do happen in Lourdes. Uh, how do they handle those? They, uh, How do they verify a miracle?
2: Yeah, that's right. There's been more than 7,000 miraculous recoveries attributed to the wow. ins- intercession of Our Lady of Lourdes at this French Shrine. Um, but among those, there's only been 70 officially approved medical miracles. Now, that's because... They've really established this really rigorous approval process um, for establishing medical miracles, and I was able to go visit their um, their bureau of uh, the Lord's Medical Bureau while I was there. And I recommend, and anyone who who visits the shrine to do so, it's something that you know might not be the first on your list of places to visit, but it's a really interesting place. Um, the bureau is headed by a doctor who studied at Harvard and they, they're really thorough in going through all the documentation. Anyone who reports a healing immediately while they're at Lord's is kind of directed to go straight to the Bureau and be evaluated by doctors. Um, and in the Bureau, they actually have, on one level, a, um, a museum that's kind of set up, um, just kind of a one-room museum, but it goes through and it tells the story of each of the of the 70 approved miracles that happened at lords and i was really struck by uh, the most recent healing took place in in 2008 and it was of a religious sister who happened to be named sister bernadette and she had a disorder of the nerves in lower spine that caused total paralysis and she arrived in a wheelchair um and she was cured after she joined a procession in lords and i mean that was in 2008 it was really recent. Wow. wow. um but just to show you how thorough the medical board of her her miracle wasn't approved until um, 2018. So it was like a 10-year process to get that to get that approved. I love um, when
1: the Lord uses science, right, uh, to help. Uh, witness to faith, uh, because faith and science, uh, you you know, go together. um, And this is just an example of that. So um, I look forward to reading your story uh, on that. I know we'll be rolling out uh, stories at Catholic News Agency and the National Catholic Register online. Uh, this week as we prepare um, for this uh, World Day of the Sick and the Feast of Our Lady of Lords, You did have an important interview, and I do want to touch on that. This will be a part of your stories. Uh, and that is uh, an interview with the Bishop of Lourdes. And you spoke about a topic that's a little rough, um, and that is that in Lourdes there is a um, Rupnik art. Um, Father Rupnik has uh, been accused of... Of um uh, abuse and uh and many people want his art removed. How did the bishop respond uh to questions regarding that?
2: Yeah, that was you know as a journalist going to Lord's that was I just couldn't help but notice you know approaching the shrine uh Rupnik's mosaics on the lower basilica they kind of s- stand out in in contrast with the with the original basilica. Um, that was asked for by the Virgin Mary. This neo-Gothic stone basilica with tall stars. They have this bright gold um, mosaics by Rupnik, kind of interspersed and in, in on on the facade of the lower church. And so uh, that was one of the things I really wanted to ask the bishop about when we we're there, because a lot of people in the church are, are talking about it right now and what to do with this art that adorns, you know, more than I think two hundred different. Uh, churches and shrines and liturgical spaces throughout the world. Um, and I must say when I interviewed him, um, it was clear that he's taking this decision very seriously. Last year, he formed a commission to decide the future of the Lord's mosaics and kind of publicly came out saying he was doing this. And he told me how since then and you know nearly the year that's followed, he's met with abuse victims. He's heard their stories. He's consulted with experts in sacred art, and he said he prays about this decision every single day. And it's something that um, that weighs on his heart, and that he plans to have a decision to make a decision about whether to remove Rupnik's art or whether or remain by next spring. Um, interestingly the Bishop told me that he has received stacks and stacks and stacks of letters um, most of them very angry letters about about Ribnik's art um, after he announced he was making this commission So, um, yes. but, it's a t- but one it's, of, a, oh,
1: sorry. it's a, I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry yes it's a difficult topic and I I'm really glad that you were able to ask that question and I look forward to reading. Uh, what you have to, you know, what 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 else he had to say? Because I know the uh, interview was was long. He will be appearing on uh, Vaticano, which is our our EWTN show, airing on Sunday. Um, that that would be the 11th, February the 11th, and it is an interview with Jean-Marc Mikas, who is the Bishop of Lords. Uh, Courtney, I am out of time and I could talk about Lords forever. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, same but
1: here. <laughs> Let's close with an in, invocation of Our Lady of Lords to pray for us. Thank you for joining me, uh, Courtney. Thank you. When we come back, we take a look at a church that's thriving and having an impact across the globe. That's going to be a conversation with Jonathan Liedel, who joins us to talk about the church in Africa. This is Register Radio and EWTN. Stay tuned.
3: If you need your news on the go, read The Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try The Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully.
0: Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN.
1: Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency, your host of Register Radio. You know, we often hear sad news of parishes closing or consolidating, and we hear of the rise of nuns, and I don't mean N-U-N-S, but rather those who were formerly practicing a religion but no longer practice But there is a church that's growing and showing signs, and showing no signs of a lack of faith, and that's the church in Africa. And here to talk to us about the rise of the church in Africa is Jonathan Liedel. Welcome back to Register Radio, Jonathan.
0: Great to be with you, Jeanette.
1: So let's talk first about these numbers because it's a there is a story that kind of shows the growth uh, in terms of the numbers of Catholics. So what do we have in Africa?
0: Well, maybe let's start off uh, over a 100 years ago uh, in 1910. The entire continent of Africa had fewer than 1 million Catholics on it. And most of those people weren't native Africans. They were uh, European settlers. Uh, mm. So fast forward a 100 years. So from under 1 million to now, uh, 2024, There are over 265 million Catholics on the continent of Africa, and that accounts for a full 19% uh, of all of the world's Catholics. So one out of every five Catholic in the world is from Africa. So a pretty incredible story of, of the growth, the spread of Catholicism on the continent of Africa. And then if we... We keep looking at it, right? We look at where those numbers are headed, right? We see that by 2050, a full 32% of the world's Catholics are expected to be living in Africa. So one out of every three. In just 35 years, one out of every three Catholics is expected to be living in the continent of Africa. So an incredible story of just the vibrancy, the dynamism of the faith, not just uh, in terms of, you know, people baptized and identifying as Catholic, but in some countries like Nigeria, 94% of the Catholic population goes to mass every Sunday, right? It's beautiful. I think in the U.S., what are we down to under 15 post-COVID? So just a a remarkable story of of, uh, the African people's embrace of Catholicism.
1: Absolutely, and it's 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 set to surpass uh, the the Catholic population of Europe, um, which was just a, a you know a haven of of Catholics. And so this is really something to watch, something to understand. Uh, you have written an article uh, for the Register. It's in uh, the upcoming February eleventh print edition. A very nice uh, layout and and very with all sorts of graphics. Um, but it did appear online this week. And uh, one of the titles, because we've kind of tagged it with a few different titles, is The Congo Flows Into the Tiber. And it's about the Catholic Catholic Church in Africa's influence is growing, but is Vatican leadership ready for it? Uh, There's so much to talk about related to this title. I want to know about uh, the Congo flowing into the Tiber. That's an interesting title. But I also want to recognize that Pope Francis has been a pope, of the peripheries. Uh, he's visited Africa a bunch. Um, uh, we can talk about how many times, but we also can recognize that Pope John Paul and Benedict uh, visited Africa too. So it's it's been a part of the Pope's uh, interest and awareness for a long time, this growth in Africa. What are the numbers there? How many times have the, our popes paid attention to, with a papal visit to Africa?
0: Well, you're right. Pope Francis, during his uh, just over 10 years of uh, being Pope, he's visited 10 times, 10 different countries, so about one every year. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, during his pontificate 2005 to 2013, uh, three countries uh, that he visited. But really, when we get to, in terms of papal outreach to Africa, John Paul II, uh, he visited Africa 45 different times. So a total of 40 countries, some of them like Kenya and Cameroon, multiple times. But that's 40 countries out of the 53 nations in Africa. So John Paul II nearly went to Africa in Africa. You talk about impact, you talk about someone recognizing the importance of the Catholic Church in Africa, not just uh, in the future, but also now uh, John Paul II and really all the popes clearly aware of this reality.
1: And maybe those visits from John Paul II, this is something we might want to explore, really had an influence on on helping that explosion of of Catholics in evangelization. Because we do know that a Pope's visit can really have a tremendous Mm -hmm. impact. So we might go there some other day. But but this question uh, came up for us. Um, recently, I mean, we, we've been watching Pope Francis's uh, engagement with Africa for a while, but this question came up recently because of tensions um, between mm-hmm. Africa and the Vatican, and these tensions were over Fiducia supplicans, which is uh, the document that basically authorized that same-sex blessings uh, could happen, that uh, the priest could bless a couple who was in an irregular um, relationship. What what has happened with Africa? Um, they they spoke out very forcefully. Um, then there was some at resolution. But where are we now? What what's the story?
0: Yeah. So uh, this was December 18th when when the Vatican released that document. And the reaction from Africa was swift. It was strong. It was public. Uh, over 20 uh, Episcopal conferences of African countries have responded publicly. Most of them striking the tone of saying that we appreciate this document of the Pope. Uh, we've looked at our situation. We're not going to be allowing blessings of same-sex couples in Africa. It would create scandal. It would. Uh, it's the document's too confusing. It would undermine. Um, not it would. This is the interesting part. I talked for the story. I talked to a lot of people in Africa. There wasn't a concern that people in Africa, based off this document, would necessarily come to a false understanding of sexuality and in marriage. Instead, the concern was that because in Africa. Across the board, whether you're a Christian or, you know, another Christian, a Catholic, a Muslim, uh, or you practice a traditional African religion, everyone is on agreement that, that, you know, sexuality is, uh, you know, between men and women, right? That's what marriage is. And uh, so the the problem is that this would have created an enormous crisis of confidence in the church, in the church's authority, actually. So the African bishops, they responded strongly, they responded swiftly. Um, you know, that prompted the Vatican actually to issue a, a super rare clarification on this document, emphasizing that, yes, bishops, uh, they, they can prudentially apply this in their own diocese, so clearly thinking of the African context. And then uh, in a really remarkable situation, Cardinal Fridolin Ambongo, who's from the Democratic Republic of Congo, Kinshasa, he is also the head of um, kind of the... the the group over all of the bishops of Africa, um, he flew to the Vatican, requested a meeting with Pope Francis. The Pope met with him. The Pope, Cardinal Friedelin Ambogo Ambongo, said was sorry about what had happened. And then Cardinal Fernandez, who's the head of the Vatican's Doctrine office, he sat down with Cardinal Ambongo at a computer, and they typed out this five-page, uh, I think the initial version was seven-page, actually, uh, statement of the bishops of Africa in regards to fiducia Supercons, in which they said this this can't be applied on our continent so just an incredible back and forth um, a lot of tension um, uh, and I think it it definitely has things to tell us about Africa's uh, influence
1: absolutely and and we do know that the pope kind of said okay we understand that you you can't uh you, you know you can't in- implement this in Africa and we're okay with this um but it there's, it doesn't really seem to be resolved because the Pope is still saying that there's uh, really a small fringe group, basically, that has, has put up resistance to fiducious supplicants. But it's not a fringe group. It's a continent. Um, and, and there are others across the world, too. And it's not over culture. It's over doctrine. Uh, so mm-hmm. what's next for this?
0: Yeah. Well, well, what's next with this? I think I don't. I'm. Who knows if the Vatican um, was completely oblivious to what the reaction from Africa would be, or if they just said we want to do this and we know that we're going to to face pushback. There was no consultation ahead of time. Right. Very minimal consultation. So I think it, it, this might be a wake up call for Vatican leadership. I think for so long. Um, you know, Africa has been like the little brother of the church in the sense that the, the, the church there was young, it was uh, maturing. I mean, 50 years ago, most of the bishops in Africa weren't even native Africans, right? They were missionaries from Europe or from other places. So this is, the people I talked to, uh, including a Dominican cardinal, or no, excuse me, Dominican theologian from Nigeria, Father Anthony Okonwale. he said, uh, you know, the future is now. Right, like Africa's future is now. Africa has come into its own. Um, it's like you know, it's it's found its voice as a member of the universal church, and I think it's the 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 Catholics of Africa, the the Catholic leaders of Africa, they're not afraid to speak up. Right, they're not afraid to to contribute to and impact uh, the dynamics and conversations in the wider church. Uh, we know in previous synods, for instance, in 2015, the Synod of the Family. Uh, and then also at this recent synod on synodality, we know that African bishops participating have gone in saying, you know, we need to stand up for uh, for orthodoxy, really, especially on issues of sexual morality. We know in, in certain European countries um, that sort of post-Christian secular ideas are, are taking hold. And so African bishops have played that role. But this was a really a, a kind of like public um, Significant step forward, I think, in terms of Africa's impact. So, I think going forward, um, there's no doubt uh, that the church will need to take into account what Catholics in Africa uh, believe and, and what their concerns are. And yeah, that line, the Congo flows into the Tiber, uh, I borrowed it from someone, and they're quoted in the article. But, um, you know, it used to be the Rhine flows into the Tiber, right? Germany had this incredible influence on the Vatican, but now. We're recognizing uh, that maybe that influence might be shifting uh, to the south, to the continent of Africa.
1: Absolutely. It's really fascinating, and I think we all have a lot to learn about what we can learn from Africa, and we may find how much uh, commonality there is, especially on the desire uh, to preserve family, the desire to be vibrant in our parish life. And so I encourage our listeners to go to ncregister.com, find this story, uh, The Congo Flows Into the Tiber, read it, and let's learn together. Jonathan, thank you so much for your reporting.
0: Thank you, Jeanette.
1: Remember for more news, analysis, and commentary to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. Uh, For myself and for my producer, Michael McCall, I pray that until next week, God bless you.